Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Up next, a masked gunman attacks a suburban family. 911. Someone just shot a He shot them. Uh, we don't know someone in the mask. This is the most horrible crime I've ever investigated. The killer leaves several clues. My first thought with the black glove was not another OJ. Whoever the crooks were made a mistake leaving behind evidence. But the forensic evidence reveals something far worse than police ever imagined. That is a pinnacle moment for me in my forensic career because it doesn't happen that often. Sugarland, Texas, just outside of Houston, everyone knew the Whitaker family. 55-year-old Kent Whitaker managed a construction business that had been in the family for a generation. The business did well. I mean, in construction booms, they did real well. And when construction wasn't booming, they still held their own. So it was a, it was a great business. Kent and his wife, Tricia, and their two sons, Bart and Kevin, were in a festive mood on the night of December 10, 2003. 24-year-old Bart was about to graduate from college with a criminal justice degree. They said, let's go out and eat and let's celebrate. When they returned home from dinner, they were ambushed. Someone just shot a neighbor. Get over here. Who shot them? Uh, we don't know someone in the mask. Please get here soon. Okay. Moments later, Bart Whitaker also called 911. <laughs> shot. Where is your wound? In the arm, my shoulder. I think I carry my arm. Oh, I chased him. I'm in the delivery room right by the kitchen. I went after him. Okay, when he left, Bart, did he leave out your back door? Yeah, I chased him that way. Dispatcher said, we've got a quadruple shooting. I initially thought she was joking because Sugarland is just not the town where quadruple shooting occurs. Both Kevin Whitaker and his mother, Trisha, were killed by gunshot wounds to the chest. Kent and Bart, both conscious and alert, had been shot in their upper arms. Investigators found the murder weapon on the kitchen floor. A 9mm pistol, a Glock, also had empty shell casings. Investigators also found a glove in the front of the house. There were no signs of forced entry. It looked like robbery might have been the motive, but there was nothing missing. They had opened up drawers of the master bedroom, uh, about two or three inches, not enough to even pull anything out. A couple of hours later, police learned of another shooting just a few miles away. The suspect went into a house in front of the people who live there, tied them up, roughed them up. This individual that left the scene, the Houston Police Department got in a chase with this individual. Officers pursued the suspect to a nearby apartment complex, but as they closed in, the gunman killed himself. We thought that if somebody was willing to kill themselves running from the police, that they must have done something really, really bad, like a homicide. The man was identified as 22-year-old Lathan Jackson. 
He'd been released from prison three months earlier for drug possession. He had been in prison for felony crimes before, somewhat lent itself to us believing that he might have been involved in this violent crime. To find out whether Jackson was involved in the Whitaker shootings, police used trained sniffer dogs. The bloodhound picked up a scent from the glove found at the Whitaker's home and the 9mm pistol found in the kitchen. So now we know that the shooter had the gun, had the gloves, and touched the drawers in the house. But the dog didn't find the same scent on Jackson's clothing. So the Whitaker killer was still on the loose. The Whitaker family had just returned home from a family dinner celebrating Bart Whitaker's upcoming college graduation. Kevin Whitaker walked towards the front door, followed by his mother and father. Bart Whitaker was checking messages on his cell phone and was the last one in. Kevin and Tricia Whitaker were killed by the gunman. Kent and his son Bart were both shot in the upper body but survived. Apparently, the killer exited through the rear door. Close to the back door of the residence where the kitchen was a black Glock 9mm handgun. It had uh, four spent shell casings. There were no valuables missing from the Whitaker's home. The only thing early on in the investigation that we knew was missing was Bart Whitaker's cell phone. That couldn't be accounted for. When questioned, Kent and Bart told police that the shooter was wearing a ski mask, was about 5 foot 11 inches tall with a medium build. But there were things about the crime scene that bothered investigators. First, it looked as if the shooter knew exactly when the family would arrive. The fact that there were four shots and four hits was very unusual, just because that was a really high hit ratio. You don't see that with police officers. He's either really lucky or really good, or had time to plan out what he was doing. And when investigators traced the serial number of the murder weapon, they discovered it was registered to Kevin Whitaker. He kept it in a locked safe in his second floor bedroom. The killer used some kind of tool or crowbar to pry the safe open. Whatever tool had been used to pry it open kind of had a crowbar-like look to it. And there were little flecks of blue paint in it, suggesting that the tool that was used had been painted. And the location of the safe was another sign the killer was familiar with the layout of the house. The shooter knew exactly where to go. There's only one way in and out of that damn second floor. As investigators searched for the man who attacked the Whitaker family, journalists were busy conducting their own investigation. On the night of the shooting, the Whitaker family was at dinner celebrating Bart's upcoming graduation from Sam Houston State University. Reporter Eric Hansen called the university to find out what type of degree Bart Whitaker was going to be awarded. The person who answered the phone, the first thing he told me was that Bart is not a student here and is not graduating. And I was really, really surprised. I mean, I was just flabbergasted. Instead of going to class, 
Bart Whitaker was using his parents' money to have a good time. They would give him money for tuition, and they just assumed that he was going to school and trusted him, and he wasn't. His father said he just believed him. They never asked him to produce any grades. Fact is, I think later on, the father actually did say that Bart Whitaker gave him a transcript, and it may have been faked. Even more appalling, Bart not only told his parents he was graduating, but said he was graduating with honors. Despite this information, Kent Whitaker had a difficult time believing this had anything to do with the murders. It wasn't that they believed he had no problems. They believed he had problems. They, they just didn't believe that his problems had the depth and, the, and the, were as destructive as they obviously were. Then investigators noticed something troubling on a photograph the family took of Bart sitting next to his brother just an hour before the murders. And on one of the pictures we noticed, Bart was making an obscene gesture towards the camera or the person taking the picture. Investigators now wondered if Bart's hostility went further than an inappropriate gesture. After the murder of his mother and brother and the attempted murder of his father, Bart Whitaker was exposed as a fraud. He told his family he was graduating from college when, in fact, he hadn't attended in years. I was even madder about the fact that he received a graduation card from a family friend, and in it, it had a check for 25, 50 bucks, something, you know. After he got out of the hospital, he cashed the check. This is after he had been exposed as not having graduated. He still cashed the check. When news reports of the Whitaker family shootings were broadcast throughout Texas, one of Bart's friends, Adam Hip, came forward with a startling piece of information. Two years before the Whitaker murders, Adam Hip claimed Bart tried to hire him as the shooter. Adam said the motive was financial, that Bart wanted to cash in on his parents' multi-million dollar estate. Hip knew specifics of the crime only someone familiar with the planning could have known. The one specific plot that matched the homicide scene, he drew out the entryway to the Whitaker's residence. He drew out specifically where he and Bart had agreed that he would stand in the entryway to shoot Kent, Kevin, and Trisha as they walked through the front door. It was an exact match. Adam Hip has an airtight alibi. On the day of the shooting, he's up in Dallas working in the bank. In another surprise twist, investigators learned that Bart's parents, Kent and Tricia Whitaker, found out about this plan two years earlier. Kent and Tricia didn't believe there was any credibility to the report. They were able to contact one of the other individuals who was actually involved in the plot. That individual convinced Kent and Tricia that it was all a joke and all a misunderstanding. So his father asked Bart Whitaker about this. Bart Whitaker was so good at being able to deceive his father, his father never double-checked in anything. His father didn't even question his schooling after that. And when police told Kent Whitaker that Bart might have arranged this shooting too, he had difficulty accepting it. Kent was very naive. Um, he's just very naive. 
So investigators wondered, if Bart arranged his family's murder, who did he get to help him? So naturally, when these crimes happened, they looked to see who Bart was hanging around with this time. Bart's two closest friends were Chris Brashear and Stephen Champagne. Brashear was a roommate, and Steve Champagne lived a few doors down. When questioned, both Champagne and Brashear denied any involvement in the shootings. Both Chris and Stephen were college-age kids who were kind of struggling to find their way. Uh, neither one of them had really decided on a career path, bouncing between jobs and parties. Police asked them for DNA and scent samples, and they did agree to provide those. Then, investigators used scent dogs to see whether those scents matched the scents from items found at the crime scene. We took scent samples from every item inside the house that we believed was touched by the suspect. Police call this a scent lineup. Most people are familiar with a photographic lineup. A scent lineup is conducted very much in the same way. None of the scents from the crime scene implicated Steve Champagne. But the dog did come up with something. Guess who scent they hit on? Chris Brashear's. Out of three different tests, they hit on Chris Brashear. Unfortunately, this kind of evidence is not admissible in court. Police would need more if they wanted a conviction. Police believe Bart Whitaker hired his roommate, Chris Brashear, to murder his mother, father, and his brother. They also suspected one of Bart's friends, Stephen Champagne, was also involved. We felt we knew who did it, but you can't go out there to the public and just tell them, hey, don't worry about it, we know who did it, it's just, you know, we can't prove it yet. We've got wiretaps. All we're doing is trying to stir up the pot to see if these guys are going to start talking to each other. And they're telephoning, but we're not getting anything. Still, police never let them forget they were under investigation. And a year and a half later, their persistence finally paid off. It became evident very quickly that the efforts we were taking to talk to Stephen Champagne's circle of friends was working. It was getting to him. Steve Champagne finally broke down and admitted to police that Bart Whitaker asked him and Chris Brashear to kill Bart's family. Champagne insisted that Chris Brashear was the shooter and that he was merely the driver. Bart wanted me to, I guess, be in Chris's shoes before. And I told him no way. And I mean, <clears throat> I was already to the point to where I was, I guess, had knowledge of this and, you know, had been threatened and things like that and couldn't, felt like I couldn't go anywhere. So I was already involved, and the way that I looked at it was I tried to eliminate myself as much from it as possible. Champagne said that after the murders, they had thrown a bag of evidence into nearby Lake Conroe. Police frogmen searched the lake, and miraculously, after a year and a half on the floor of the lake, found the bag. Inside was a chisel a half-full bottle of water, Bart Whitaker's cell phone, and some unused 9 millimeter bullets. It's the same type of ammunition that was used during the murders. It's a nice little connection. 
Scientists weren't sure that the paint on the chisel could be tested. It was corroded. It looked like it had fungus on it. I was able to find enough of the light blue paint that I could scrape off. There was enough to test with infrared light and its chemical structures measured. The findings showed that the paint from the chisel was the same as the paint chips on the safe in Kevin Whitaker's bedroom. Analysts now turned to the water bottle. Amazingly, even though it had been submerged for 18 months, analysts found a genetic profile. The bottle's screw top sealed someone's DNA into the plastic threads of the cap. They sent it off. It had Chris Brashear's DNA on it. It just shows that Steve Champagne was telling the truth. Almost two years after the murders, Chris Brashear and Steve Champagne were arrested and charged with capital murder. Ironically, neither Brashear nor Champagne was ever paid a cent for their participation in the crime. The ringleader, Bart Whitaker, fled to Mexico, but was later apprehended. Prosecutors believe the murders were meticulously planned. Bart called his parents with the bogus story he had passed his final exams and was set to graduate. His parents invited him home to celebrate. When the family went out to dinner, Chris Brashear entered the home with a key Bart gave him, but he dropped a glove outside, which later tied him to the crime scene. Once inside, Brashear broke into the safe in Kevin's room, stealing the Glock 9mm handgun, leaving the paint chips that tied the chisel to the scene. To make it look like a robbery, Brashear opened some drawers in the house, but the attempt clearly looked staged. Steve Champagne was at the restaurant and called Brashear as the Whitakers left. When the Whitakers came home, Brashear was waiting. He shot Kevin and Trisha in the chest. He shot Kent in the arm as he turned sideways, which saved Kent's life. Brashear then shot Bart in the arm, as planned. When he tried to pick up the gun in his haste, he probably picked up Bart's cell phone by mistake. Then he ran outside through the back door and met Steve Champagne, who was waiting for him two blocks away. Brashear took a sip of water, then put it in the canvas bag, along with the chisel and Bart's cell phone and threw the bag into the lake. Eighteen months later, when the bag was recovered, Brashear's DNA was still on that bottle. Stephen Champagne had provided a confession. All of the key pieces of evidence that were needed to corroborate his confession were contained in that bag. You had to get the forensic evidence out of Lake Connor. You had to have the dog sent from that night. It's like a jigsaw puzzle, and once all the pieces are there, it makes your puzzle, and that's what this did. Chris Brashear was convicted of two counts of capital murder and was sentenced to life in prison. 
In exchange for his testimony, Stephen Champagne was convicted of capital murder and sentenced to 15 years in prison. Hereby find the defendant, Thomas Bartlett Whitaker, guilty of the offense of capital murder as charged in the indictment. Bart Whitaker was sentenced to death. Forensic evidence tied all of the other key components of this case together and allowed us ultimately to present the district attorney's office with a case that was, you know, by the grace of God, as airtight as it could get. It didn't matter whether Bart Whitaker really had a legitimate reason to hate somebody. If he just decided that he was superior than you and that whatever you had, he deserved because he's better than you, he's getting it.